Welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Aye! <laughs> what does that mean? That means it's almost Fat Tuesday time. Ooh, uh, les le bon temps roulé? Yeah, sure. Let's let them roll. Well, I see that in honor of Fat Tuesday, we have a classic New Orleans cocktail to imbibe on while we talk about this week's episode, The Roof. Yeah, I think this this is the Sazerac, and it's probably the basis upon which all New Orleans cocktails come from in some way. All, including hand grenades? Yeah, even there. This is what put New Orleans on the map as a place to go for drinks. I remember going to New Orleans in college because I went to college on the Gulf Coast, and I thought a hand grenade was like a really good drink, but now that I'm older and wiser, I realized that they were probably That's just what all college kids think, wringing out the dish rags into some Gatorade and pouring some moonshine in it. And yeah, saying, it's, it's like mildly alcoholic battery acid. I don't know how people <laughs> drink those things, but and they even come in that tacky, like exploding grenade shaped glass or container or whatever that is. It's, yeah, it seems insensitive now when you look back on it. Well, the other one like that is the hurricane, right? Which was uh, supposedly an excuse to unload a bunch of rum one one season because that's all they had or something in the in the whole town of new orleans and this was a way to add some fruit punch to some rum and make it taste like something yeah but even in college i knew that i didn't like a hurricane because it was just so sugary i mean of all the times we've ever been in new orleans i think other than that one hand grenade i've never touched drinks like that before so it's for me it's always the sazerac old fashions of course um they have a thing called the the la louisiane that we like to order every now and then yeah and then there's just things like the last word i mean classic cocktails have kind of made their way back and forth to le vucare yeah cheers happy mardi gras to everybody out there celebrating carnival season the thing about this drink you have to make it with rye don't dare make it with bourbon um rye is the classic spirit from new orleans although you could argue cognac in a way was also or the original spirit they were mixing with and then i i did practice a little leisure domain i did not crush up a a sugar cube and make syrup out of it in the glass. I just used simple syrup. Oh, wow. Yeah. A shortcut. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I find expectations the result is the same. So why waste your time? I mean, it's fun crushing up a sugar cube. You waste your time, time because now I'm looking at you disappointingly and I'm not enjoying the drink as much as I thought I would. Well, I'll drink it for you then. You don't have to have it. Well, speaking of drinking, you reminded me because it's Mardi Gras, that means Lent is around the corner. So we won't be drinking because we usually don't drink during Lent. Yeah. Well, it turns out, though, you can indulge your vice on Sundays. So that is such we'll a still be here loophole. serving up cocktails and dynasty as they want to be. Well, I mean, if we record on Sundays, there's no guarantee of that. Maybe we give up alcohol. Are we going to be in church or something? I mean, what do you mean? Maybe we should give up alcohol not only to drink, but to talk about it on the podcast because we do lean heavily into the booze chattery. That we do. That we do. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is unlike last week's season three premiere, I don't feel like I need to be drunk. There was, I mean, it kind of helped a little bit, especially at the end with the Claudia Bleasdale hostage standoff, but I don't know. I think we're back on track with this episode. I'm, I'm feeling good about season three again. Yeah, I, I have a little more to expound upon there, but generally, yes, I agree. Okay, well, let's take a break and then we'll get into it. Are you 
currently listening to Dynasty as they want to be on Stitcher. If not, you should be. Stitcher is a free podcast app for Apple and Android that's home to over 260,000 podcasts. While the Stitcher app is free to use, they also offer Stitcher Premium Subscription Service featuring exclusive bonus episodes and ad-free listening for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 for the whole damn year. I'm currently obsessed with the podcast Groceries from Throwing Shade host Brian Safi and Aaron Gibson. It's a Stitcher Premium podcast all about, uh uh-huh, groceries. I know it sounds crazy, but it's deliciously hilarious. If you want your first month of Stitcher Premium faux free, head to stitcher.com slash premium and sign up using the promo code DYNASTY. That's stitcher.com slash premium promo code D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. If you don't go sign up right now, I'll have no choice but to tell Blake Carrington what you did, you little tramp. Welcome back. Well, we got to talk about the the opening credits because we didn't really touch on that last time. Yeah. They've changed them again. They seem sped up and the color is more yellow. I don't know why that stood out to me. It's kind of a random thing, but it bothered me in a way. And of course, like we can't overlook that they've introduced a new character. Adam Um, Carrington. I think think you did complain about that being some sort of a mild spoiler. Yeah, it's like you know what's happening. The same thing happened with Heather Locklear and Sammy Joe. It's like, oh, okay, we're getting a new character this episode. But his title card is very risque. Sure, it's just a bottle of champagne popping, but sometimes a bottle of champagne popping is not just a bottle of champagne popping. Oh, are you saying it's a metaphor? It definitely seemed like a metaphor to me, and they split his his screen with it just in a way that it looks a little bit Mm, self-revelatory. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know how know, to describe it. How does a bottle of champagne just pop on its own while it's sitting on the table? What kind of special effects were spent to get that shot? I don't know, but I, I think because they they got that shot, it they use it like for the rest of his appearance on this show. Mm, popping bottles. Yeah, it was a one and done, baby. The thing I really don't like about the revised opening credits is the editing at the end where we kind of focus too much on the car and then we don't really see enough of the Carrington mansion and it's an aerial shot that's like really far away. Yeah, this could be anywhere. It could be any house. It's just yeah, not... Yeah, zoom in on that, baby. I want to see... Because at this money point, on the screen. I believe this is when it was at, at its highest rating or at least it had not been as highly rated as it this point so you can imagine there's a whole new audience coming to the show and they're like not even really getting a sense from the titles of this you know this house which really is a character in the show yeah and in this episode in particular there are a lot more aerial shots there's kind of zooming in and we're seeing different angles of the house we haven't seen before so that's kind of cool. I'm going to blame some of that, though, on this this new director on this episode. I don't know if she does other episodes later, but I don't believe we've seen her before. And it's not the usual, you know, Philip Laycock. Well, we're getting a lot of action here, so we need somebody that's going to be able to shoot on a rooftop maybe that was her speciality and that's why they brought her in because they wanted all those dissolves and aerial shots and yeah get us rooftop some, action get us somebody who can do a slow-mo of a baby falling off of a roof oh my <laughs> so anyway we begin the episode with sort of the fallout from blake carrington well i guess all of the carrington's live press conference from little blake's nursery and blake and Crystal 
people are sort of beside themselves and Blake is just... Oh, Blake's having another one of his classic hissy fits. Like, he blows up on her. It's never really justified. It's just he's, he's you know, he's a, he's bitchy. And I've, you know, I've said this from the very beginning. He's he's kind of a bigger bitch than all the rest of the, the women on this show. It does seem a little ridiculous that people aren't more shook about this Adam Carrington revelation that Alexis and Blake had a baby before Stephen, before Fallon, that just went missing. And they're they're not really filling in all the gaps here. Maybe they will later. But, like, Crystal just kind of is like, mm, yeah, that's sad. I wish she would have told well, me. I see Crystal here in the, in that scene. She's basically standing in for the audience because, like, the, the writers, I guess, had to, like, kind of circle back to this and make sure they retconned some of it. And so Crystal's, like, basically asking all the questions that the audience is probably sitting at home asking. The one thing they can't resolve is the math because if Adam Carrington is 25, wasn't Stephen 25? at one point so I don't know it doesn't make any sense yeah I think at some point they're just, they just try to load up on details so it kind of gets fuzzy and you don't think too much about it which you're probably not supposed to I mean look at the end of the day we have a new character they got bored they needed to you know bring in somebody new and Adam Carrington's gonna be it I guess uh, another interesting thing is that he seems like this like sweet innocent country boy in the prior episode and now you kind of see like you know he's sort of evolved into a little bit more than just that after yeah I was kind of like into the stuff with him and his grandmother who reveals that I guess she stole him in Denver that's what's going on here I you got a little more out of that than I did so <laughs> I, I didn't even try to disentangle it because it's just like oh they just wrote this character in, so none of this makes sense to me yeah well I think it makes sense because she's on her deathbed and she's feeling guilt over what she did and she's telling him like well you actually are a rich bitch and you need to go to Denver and claim your birthright. I've always loved the good Lord. And I've always loved you. And I've sinned against you both. Oh, I know. By going to church every Sunday, by taking care of me after my folks were killed, oh, you're a real prime sinner, Graham. I sinned. I sinned. When I stole you from that baby carriage in Denver and brought you here to Billings. You, the Carrington baby. Uh, this is one of the rare times religion or spirituality or God or anything gets brought up on this show. And I think it's interesting, of course, it's like in Billings, Montana, far, far away from the glitzy, glamorous lifestyle of the Carringtons. So uh, just, uh, just a little drop of like more of that 80s morality that you know that this show is so good at sort of like displaying well crystal didn't really seem as surprised as i thought she might about this revelation of there being and a first carrington child fallon uses this information to kind of hypothesize that if she had known that adam carrington's baby napping happened then this maybe her somehow baby prevented have the kidnapping napped. yeah i don't think so yeah well i think i wasn't really liking any of that stuff and i was like why do we keep talking about this like she's just going on and on and like the baby's gonna get kidnapped because the writers needed the baby to get kidnapped so who cares well yeah but she's in the universe she can't think outside of that 
that's too meta for 1982. I kind of think she does have a point here. She should have known about it. And if she would have known that this was a danger, I mean, obviously. Yeah, I don't think anybody's giving Blake enough shit for this. Right. She does give Blake and Alexis the what for. She's coming down the stairs and, you know, they, they look like two guilty criminals. Which, you know, in a lot of ways, they pretty much are, not just because of this. And Alexis passes that buck off just as quickly as possible. She's like, what is Blake's idea? I didn't do anything. Talk to your father. He's the one who said to do that. (laughs) And I just have to think, like, when was this going on in the 60s or 70s? I guess it would have had to have been the 60s. uh, Let's let's try to do the math there. Adam is what? 25, 25, that's what they said. Uh, So, yeah, this would have been in 1955. Whoa. That's like way too, or well, 1958, I guess, because we're in 82, 83 at this point. And then a few years later, she has Fallon and Steven, and then she's sent away. So this is a lot of drama that was happening in the 50s and 60s. I know, but it's all just sort of like happening off screen and therefore not very exciting. And it's all already happened. No, I no, I don't need to see it. I'm just saying hearing about it. It's like, my God, these people had so much going on 20 years ago. They are the character. And so I guess it's par for the course. Fallon. Darling, you look so pale. Why didn't you... My mother and my father have deceived me. Why didn't you ever tell me about the other child? He was my own flesh and blood. I had... You had a right to know. Yes, Fallon, you did. I wanted to tell you, but you were so young and I had to leave. It was your father's decision not to tell you. Fallon, I made that decision for good reasons. For you and Stephen. Meaning what? Meaning I didn't want you to grow up fearful about your own safety. You can understand that, can't you? Well, maybe if you had told me, I could have protected my own son. There's still this mystery, too, of who took the baby. Now, I know you don't give a shit about it, and you probably have remembered who did what because you've seen these episodes, and I have not. But, you know, we've got Farouk Ahmed Well, yeah, they spend a, a lot of time in this episode, like, doing, like, red herrings with all these different characters. Yeah, we're getting all the characters' testimony. You know, we have Fallon confronting Christine, the bitchy nurse. Ugh. I'm loving Nurse Christine so much. Yeah, or Nurse, Nurse Susan, sorry. Yeah, Susan needs more of a part here. She's she's underused, I feel. When Fallon goes into the kitchen and catches Nurse Susan, played by Christine Belford, that's why I keep slipping up, drinking wine from the cellar and not... Naughty, naughty. ...giving a fuck. Yeah, this, she, is, this she's is like, like the yep. 45 Chateau Lafitte or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just having it with her leftovers that are warmed up. Yeah, like, she's <laughs> eating. And she's like, yep, I went into daddy's cellar and I'm drinking it. Sip. I, yeah, I like her take, though. She's not trying to hide it or make excuses. She's just like, I went down to the cellar. I, you didn't catch me. I'm I'm having a drink. Well, and the, like, the writers are sticking She owns it. She's very, very bold. <laughs> the writers are sticking very close to Nurse Susan's whole MO, which is that she hates rich people. And now we're seeing that again with her dipping into the vintages. Well, and, you know, of course, we get that moment we love where yeah, she destroys the stemware. Money. It's always your lousy money, isn't it? Well, it's not gonna buy a confession from me. There isn't enough money or decent wine in the world for that. I love it when somebody throws a glass at a wall. That's that's always good for some thrills. 
Uh, whenever you're looking for drama, just write that in, you know. But the most iconic thing that she did was take a big gulp of it, and then she threw it because she's not going to let. Oh, she wasn't going to let that go to go waste. To waste. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Well, Fallon's basically going around pointing fingers, and you know she just can't. She can't get it right. Yeah, and she's mad at Nurse Susan. She's, she's mad, mad at, at Doctor yeah. Trescani. She's mad at the cops. Have you noticed that Fallon really talks really poorly about law enforcement? She thinks they're completely inept. Yeah, well, because that's because only Daddy Blake can ever fix anything for her. That's that's her universe. The other thing she does acknowledge that you know she's in the nursery having her moment with Jeff that being rich means you're hated, you know, and that's why there's all these different people that could possibly have kidnapped her child, which, you know, again, feeds into what, you know, nurse Susan's doing. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of, we also know Nick Toscani's got like some beef kind of from the same angle. Like it's a little bit because of Blake's success, but obviously they have some other, you know, beef between them. Right. Well, don't forget about the grave digger. And that's what I kind of like about this missing baby thing Mm -hmm. is it's an opportunity for the other, us versus them. You know, the Carringtons and the Colbys are the 1%, but let's not forget about all of these servants and grave diggers and nurses and they feel put upon and maybe they're targeting this yeah, family. It's, it's a servant's revolt for sure. The other thing that's interesting about the, the caretaker, what stake does he really have? Like maybe he's got an issue, but He's just there saying hi to Jeff, and then he turns on a dime, and like he's going wild over, like, you rich people suck. You rich are all alike, ain't you? You put the cops on me. Me. A guy who can barely eke by. People like me can't even make a, a remark about the rich without them getting their hackles up or without them sending the cops to question us. Well, by God... Old Alfred Grimes is going to tell them all to go to hell. There's a lot of heavy handedness with this theme from all of these characters. Well, this is starting to become a trope that I'm noticing in Dynasty is that you have these side characters. I know we were like reveling in all the sassy nurses last week, but now I'm starting to see with like Nurse Susan and with the Gravedigger. Like these actors, they get one scene on this show that is now becoming Make super count. popular. And it's like, I'm going to chew the scenery and then maybe they'll nom, expand nom, nom, my nom. role and I'm going to be in them opening credits next to a popping champagne bottle. I can just see the stars and lust in their eyes. So they're kind of doing a little bit too much than they need to be doing. Yeah. And another example of that one is the hotel manager. Um, she's like, she didn't need to come to the door and babysit Claudia. But <laughs> I mean, I imagine if you checked into a hotel and they like come up to your room like a few minutes later and they're like, can we get you anything? Like enjoy your like go away. Leave me alone. That's weird. But yeah, well, it was a different time. I think you got more hands on service when you checked into a hotel. But but yeah, she's another one that like gets like a couple of lines and she's making every word count yeah but she got some juicy stuff talking about i know what it's like to have my husband in the slammer i mean that's gold tmi tmi but (laughs) yeah well she's played by um a sort of memorable actress what was her name diane von Furstenberg. no diane sawyer no that's the (laughs) that's the anchor woman keaton it's diane keaton so no so she's played by connie sawyer who was sort of like in a lot of things and just like small roles like going all the way back to the 50s i think um nothing i think that we've seen but then i guess she did kind of turn up as a minor character in pineapple express and that she was in dumb and dumber as sort of like a like small bit part a true character actress 
that's the thing. She wasn't really a character actress per se, but she definitely was like in lots of just small two line roles or just yeah. When you needed a crazy old lady, quick appearances. Yeah, but apparently she worked all the way up until 2018. Like she lived to be over a hundred. So. Love that. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that Claudia was not a suspect. It really seemed like in last week's episode they ruled her out. And we were really going to be focusing on these three or four other possibilities. But now she's not only a suspect, but she has the baby. They show her checking into this hotel with little Blake's blanket. I didn't buy it from the beginning. Neither did I. That looked just like a Jigunda like blanket. Yeah, like there was you couldn't see anything inside there. I'm like, she didn't have anything in there. I mean, it turns out she has a baby doll, but the whole time I kept wondering because I also knew that there was no real baby there. So then I'm wondering, okay, well, this is probably to throw us off because I don't think Claudia actually stole the baby because I don't think they're going to in one episode reveal all. So I knew they were going to stretch it out in some way. But I'm thinking as I'm watching, did people at home on their couch in 82 watching this who don't know about special effects and didn't have Avengers Endgame and, you know, all of these behind the scenes DVD extras. Did they not think about the fact that this looks fake as fuck and clearly Pamela Bellwood is not touching any well, real at baby? First I was just like thinking, well, maybe it's just, you know, lazy props. You know, they just didn't do a good enough job because it's, you know, whatever. It's a TV production. But then the more I like looked at that, I'm like, no, there's she's really just not got a baby i don't know it's it's kind of anticlimactic actually because it's like i knew it wasn't her all along but we have to sit through it and you know watch her have her rooftop experience yeah let's talk about her going up to the rooftop this was very exciting yes i didn't think that she had the baby either but we've never been on the top of a roof in the dynasty universe i mean clearly they're in downtown la yeah <laughs> even when jeff goes to talk to his dead dad and and has the run in with the grave keeper there's like palm trees in the background uh, <laughs> at the Inglewood Cemetery where they shot that scene so now that caretaker's been working overtime to get them palms to grow <laughs> yeah those are definitely not indigenous to For anywhere in your Denver grateful, rich people <laughs> but yeah it was so cool to go up to the roof and then have Claudia up there you know Pamela Bellwood doing her best schizophrenic routine and then the whole rest of the Carringtons minus Alexis unfortunately she was busy with Cecil still in the hospital there's nothing glamorous for her to do on the rooftop of a (laughs) downtown LA hotel so which by the way nothing ever good happens on the roof of a hotel in downtown LA that's just it's automatically seedy yeah um, even during the day uh, this, by the way, I guess this is the famous Roslyn Hotel, like, which was on a speakeasy tour that we took many months ago or years ago or however long ago that was. But it was yesterday. Yeah, this is this is one of those like I don't know if it's historic because nothing in downtown L.A. is really historic, but it's probably as old as it gets for L.A. That's why it's so recognizable. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that are historic, but you know, not until the past few years have people really 
gave those buildings the love and attention they deserve. But yeah, it was, it's kind of weird they didn't try to mask it or make it look like something else with one of those like fake St. Dennis Club signs. Like, I was kind of hoping that, you know, she was going to jump to her death in front of the St. Dennis Club. Yeah, we were waiting for something more to happen there. And well, I guess we did finally get it, which was the baby overboard or not baby as it turns out this was the most botched operation done by the denver pd that i've ever seen in my entire life first of all the cops go up there and they have like a professional therapist or interrogator or whatever try to talk her down and he's terrible he's like we should go get a cup of coffee really that's your opening line you're gonna try to tell somebody that they should stop claudia i think drinks tea anyway so What's he trying to do? Well, also, why are they letting Blake and company up there? Like, that's never part well, of yeah, our... Yeah, that's my next point. Like, they just I don't let they... an entire fucking family up to the it, roof? Is that just, like, TV version of, like, hostage negotiation? Is, like, you let obviously. the family get in the middle of it? Because that might work better than... Well, I mean, obviously it did because the cops are terrible at what they're doing. But... If I was Claudia Blaisdell and I saw Fallon and then Blake and then Crystal and Jeff, a I'd guy jump. that I was just I having jump. sex with... I would be gone. My face and the pavement would be meeting very soon. Pavement meet face. And then the dumb, dumb cops, while all of that chit chat is going on between Fallon and then Blake, the weird mustached one crawls across the water tower and tries to sneak up behind Claudia. But there ain't no sneaking up behind her. She saw him right away. Yeah, I mean, I know this whole sequence isn't like all that well choreographed. And this is all part of, I think, what happens when Dynasty tries to do things it's not cut out to do. I mean, I still thought it was a lot of fun. But I mean, it, it was, was it was fun. As but as, as far as action scenes go, even for like nighttime television, this this is fairly amateur to me well i hope that creepy mustache cop gets his badge revoked and is barred from service because he is to blame for that poor worse they'll put him on traffic duty baby doll getting thrown off the ledge yeah i well and this is again with the baby doll like it's like is this a bad prop because you know like when you see you know like they'll put it like a dummy some guy jumping off a building in a movie or something it's like so is this like supposed to be a real like baby or that's what I'm saying when or I was is watching it a baby doll like because I don't know is it bad props or is it just a baby doll yeah I mean today they would have CGI'd like a real baby falling down but back well, in no, but it wasn't a real baby so that's the thing so but you just don't know the production is like kind of iffy so. there's multiple levels of me yes. not knowing because I'm watching something that's 40 years old and I don't know if the special effects are just different but then also does she really not have a real baby because it's a doll in the show or is it a doll because it's special effects. It was mm, making me go crazy. Not as crazy as Claudia, though. (laughs) That's true. Nobody can be as crazy as Claudia. So what I want to know is where did she get this damn porcelain doll? And at what point did she start thinking that this was baby Lindsay? Well, again, she's crazy. And in television logic, that means this is all possible. She's I mean, been she... locked up in the Carrington mansion. Unless Crystal has like a porcelain doll collection in one I'm of the I'm sure there's a porcelain rooms. doll somewhere in the 48 rooms of that house. So, I mean, none of it's like that out of the ordinary. But this is part of the larger vaudeville of this episode where you kind of just have to give up 
and just say, this is going to be campy and, and I'm going to enjoy it that way, which is fine. Cause I mean, that's probably ultimately everybody's take on what dynasty is, is high camp. Yeah. I think they leaned into it a little bit more in this episode. Whereas the last the prior episode, episode was trying to take itself a little too seriously, too seriously, even though it was like clearly doing like a whole bunch of ridiculous nonsense, but here it seems to gel, whereas the the premiere episode, it did not. And even the stuff with Adam Carrington, uh, especially at the end on the plane when he's talking to the stewardess, like they were called that back then, so don't write me an email or tweet at me because that's what they were then. They're, they're already kind of setting him up to be maniacal, which is good because you need somebody that's going to be able to spar with the Carringtons and the Colbys. Like, I don't want some country bumpkin coming in saying, I'm a Carrington, yeah, take I don't, me in. I don't need any corn-pone melodrama in we my Carrington mansion. We did that with mansion. Sammy Joe, so mm-hmm. it's like been there, done that. So I like that even though we're getting an outsider coming in here again, I think it's going to feel a little bit different and especially considering he's the firstborn well and it is mentioned that he has a law degree oh i did not hear that or read his cv yeah that was part of the discussion with the quack doctor i couldn't understand anything he was saying with his weird ass montanian accent wait was that an accent was it montanian or yes it was adam (laughs) wait is that mr ed (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fun fact. The country doctor also (laughs) was the voice voice of Mr. Ed. But yeah, so Adam Carrington is like formulating this plan. And then part of that, I have been waiting for this because you talk about it all the time. I've seen pictures of it. But the first reference about La Mirada. Yes. Oh, I lit up when she said that. <laughs> so I guess the stewardesses like stay at La Mirada or that's where Adam Carrington is going to go stay. I was so excited just to hear La Mirada that I didn't hear any dialogue <laughs> that happened after that. So I'm, I'm going to pass that ball to and you. And so but... this is your favorite location in all nine seasons of dynasty it is but because it's metaphorical for me like the location itself is sort of like ho-hum it's just another stucco and tile you know resort on the outskirts of town but what i love about la mirada uh and of course we can dive into this way more when it finally appears uh is it's it's this sort of purgatory of dynasty it's this place where characters like sort of get sent for time out when their plot line is wearing thin. We have to do something new for them. Well, it's interesting that that's where Adam Carrington is going to be starting out. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, that actually you make a good point there, too. It's a, it's sort of a perfect you know moment for him to enter the world of or the perfect place for him to enter the world of Dynasty. Um, obviously, we don't really get there yet. I mean, that's probably another episode or two in after this. But oh, tease me. Yeah. But yes, love, love La Mirada. And it's always just like I'm packing my bags i'm leaving i'm going to live at la mirada you're getting too excited about la mirada calm down we don't want to spoil anything adam is already not doing such a great job because there's this reporter for i guess the denver chronicle pulitzer prize winning she, she reminds Blake she Carrington. reminds every room she walks into she reminds somebody <laughs> yeah. you know i didn't get my pulitzer prize for nothing you know that pulitzer prize i won oh the bathroom is on the third door on the left be sure to take a look at my pulitzer prize sitting on the toilet <laughs> i bought it in the lily pulitzer catalog <laughs> but he, yeah she 
tips Blake off to the fact that somebody has called in and wanted uh, the tea on this uh, original baby napping. What a what a great time to be a journalist in Denver when you have so many, you know, future and old baby nappings to be covering. Yeah, I. This is a good moment because it sort of combines the the lost baby and the lost lost baby storylines into one moment with Blake and honestly I'm way way more interested in Adam Carrington than than like I don't little Blake can be gone forever as far as I'm I'm not concerned about that that storyline doesn't interest me but maybe the kidnappings just don't do much for me yeah and I do have to say as a professional journalist myself I thought Miss Pulitzer Prize winner was way too touchy-feely with Blake she was definitely touchy-feely yeah there was like a hand on the knee and then there was like some hands on the arms I'm surprised Crystal didn't come in here and make her whistle well I don't know if like I was is that like part of her tactics like she thought maybe Blake would go for a little nookie and give up the story I don't know well clearly we know how she won her Pulitzer Prize she fucked her way to the top (laughs) honestly if you look at it on the screen it's really it's just awkward touchy-feely it's not even sexy touchy-feely so I don't know what this actress was going for with with the body language and the gestures again these these actors they get one scene and they've got to do everything they can to make it work so for the gravekeeper, it was screaming at the top of his lungs. And for her, it was putting her hands all over John Forsythe's body, yaddy, yaddy. Anyway, I, like I've been saying, I think this is uh, a nice course correction from last week's third season premiere. I really am interested in Adam Carrington, what he's going to do when he finally arrives, what La Mirada is going to look like. So... This is a good idea, and I'm 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 fine with them putting Steven on the back burner, especially because Al Corley left the series to kind of focus this attention on this long lost Carrington. And um, yeah, I want to know who took Baby Blake. And now it's time for the Lurk of the Week segment. This is where Kyler and I choose our favorite ensembles from the episode. Do we even need to talk about it? No, I mean, I think we've hit a trifecta with with our outfits because it's the same one, I'm sure. Okay, you want to say it in three, two, one? Three, two, one. Alexis, Alexis by the stairs in the fur coat and turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, Alexis's turtleneck. Wowie zowie. This is something. And this is a really great example of how boring 80s beige tones can still be dramatic. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I mean, we could just sit here and dissect every every last detail i mean obviously the fur coat is the first thing you see yeah and then the second thing of course is this wide cowl neck turtle neck kind of sweater i'm not sure what that is it's got the like the double like neck detail to it's, call it a turtleneck is diminishing yeah, what it, it doesn't really, really approach a description of what this is because it not only wraps around her her neck immediately but it sort of billows out and it, yeah, it forms these two kind of bunches under her neck. And I think a lot of people, this is a real credit to Joan Collins, a lot of women or men could not pull this off. No, I mean, this would probably be considered not flattering, but No, somehow... if I wore this, I would be a cast member on TLC's My 600 Pound Life. I couldn't look good in that. Well, I think part of why it works is she or the stylist, I don't know, the hair is pulled back into a very petite bun. 
So it's it's weighed, you know, the the neck detail is not overpowered by too much hair either. So it, it all sort of balances out. Right. Um, and the fur balances it as well because yeah. the fur is one is pretty big one. Right. It adds enough bulk shawl. to sort of make that neck detail make sense. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, um, if she was just wearing some little jacket, then, yeah, she would look like Jabba the Hutt or something. It'd be strange. But the, the other thing that about the hair that works especially is it just, I mean, it's a razor sharp look. She means business in this hairdo. Um, it's pulled totally away, so all you see is her face, which has this like you know crazy '80s makeup, and then of course the small earrings, just kind of like again, like the the every detail here seems to be on purpose. It's perfect on every spectrum. Like nothing went wrong here. Maybe a little bit too much rouge, but otherwise. But that's part of this look. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I can only compare it to like a Robert Palmer girl. It was the same idea. Like the hair is pulled as tightly back as it can go. And you've got the wild cheeks with the red and the bright lipstick, you know. So it's, it's this, this, this 80s power look and that was kind of happening for women at the moment. She's not doing anything super powerful. This is just an outfit that she's going to wear to go see Cecil in the ICU. Pick up some bagels and see Cecil. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so in a way, it almost feels wasted. Like, I wanted her to go into a boardroom or go have a brunch or something, but but she's that's really how fabulous just, that she is. Like, this is just her hospital visitation outfit. That's you know? true. That's true. I mean, she might pick up some groceries on the way back, but, you know, she's going to change into something else just as glamorous and striking for, you know, the rest of the day, probably. Well, and I guess keeping Cecil alive and uh, still into her is <laughs> a business decision enough because she's got to get that ring and... Apparently it's going to be happening soon. Well, again, part of the, you know, the whole 80s of it all, like she's, you know, strictly business and that's right down to like, we're not even going to have a romantic wedding. We're just going to do it right here in the bed before you die. Well, like, yeah. I'm not taking any chances on you making it out of this hospital And alive. I'm not even going to let your nephew uh, inform you that his son has been baby napped. So, because I got to keep that heart ticking long enough for the pastor to put a ring on it. I don't think we saw the shoes with this outfit, did we? Uh, unfortunately, when she appeared in the outfit later, the lighting was really terrible in the hospital. So it was really all about that moment when she and Blake are commiserating post-press conference. Well, the other thing you notice when she takes off the fur coat, um, I mean, other than, of course, the the great belt that's, you know, I mean, everything's just wonderful about this, but the shoulders are obviously very poofy. All the characters, I think, in this episode especially, like, the puff shoulders are here to stay. Like, they just keep getting puffier. Yeah, even Crystal turns out some puffy yeah. shoulders in this episode. Yeah, so it's, I, I almost have to wonder, because, like, I've, I I thought the common knowledge was that shoulder pads were sort of a, a revisit to, like, 1940s dressing. But I have to wonder if the puff sleeve thing is just as much a part of that, because it's, it's just all about having bulk and, like, you know, wide shoulders, whether it's shoulder pads or puffed. <laughs> Well, Kyler, in a minute, our captain will inform one and all that descent has begun. So that concludes this episode of Dynasty as they want to be. The descent of the show? <laughs> no, the show is landing. It's taking off. Right on schedule. Wait, what? Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome for joining you. 
<laughs> I want to remind everybody that we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash nasty podcast. If you want to financially support the podcast and gain access to extras like ad free episodes and bonus episodes, just go to patreon.com slash nasty podcast and follow us on social media. We're at nasty podcast N A S T Y podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. See you at La Mirada. Thank you.